What's Gene Chatsky's answer to does money buy happiness? And if it does, for how much? I love to research this topic, the relationship between money and happiness. And I love Gene's answer to this question. Also, what makes women so different from men when it comes to how they invest and they think about money? Gene will answer that question as well. And she'll also give us a quick overview of her eight-week finance fix program going from chaos to control. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Gene Chatsky, welcome to the Retire Sooner podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, in our world of finance, there's not that many people that everybody knows. So like Warren Buffett (laughs) is one. And the only other one I would know would be Gene Jatsky. Like there's no, right? Who else is there? Well, I I don't, I don't, I don't think you, I don't think I get put on the same tier as Warren Buffett. That's, that's, those are, that's some rarefied air, but I appreciate the thought. You've been doing today's show for often, I guess today's show and Wall Street Journal and New York Times and, um, when did you, did you start Today Show really 25 years ago? Were you like in high school? Um, yeah, yeah, 25 years ago. Holy. Uh, maybe more, maybe 27. And then how do you do what a couple things every week with them or is it when they need you and there's a bigger money story? I, I'm not these days. These days I'm, I'm doing um, my podcast, which is called Her Money and running um, – running her money, which is is growing pretty quickly. We've got a financial coaching program, a couple of newsletters. Um, we're putting new content on hermoney.com every day. And, and uh, I'm still working for AARP, which I love. Um, so yeah, lots going on. So her money, when did you start? How many years has it been? So I started the Her Money podcast five years ago. Okay, so it's and been a long time. It's been a long time. We launched uh, the rest of the business, the websites, the newsletters two years ago and the coaching program just about six months ago. You know, I guess what's interesting, among other things about your career in finance is that, you know, you've you've I don't know if it's the right term, but you've counseled anywhere from, you know, people that are just trying to get out of debt all the way to like Oprah Winfrey. Like, right. So, I mean, it's like such a big continuum what is her money coaching about right now? Well, our program is called Finance Fix, and it's helping people who feel like they don't have a grip on mm-hmm. their money. They're not able to save enough. They've got debt that they're dealing with, and they can't make the progress that they want to make because they're just... Um, there's just too much chaos. It's an eight-week program that gets you from chaos to control. And what's different about it is that we call it FinTouch, right? There's a lot of apps out there that that will take you by the hand and you use your device and you do it that way. I've always found, and this is true particularly of many women, we like to learn from another person. So... 
we've got both going on. It's a it's a small group eight week program with one on one coaching, weekly group work, and some modules and learning that you do on your device or your computer. And people are really loving it. About about a third of the people that have gone through it so far are have said we don't want to stop. And so we've rolled them into what we call Fix Plus, which is a maintenance program. And and um, I just love it. I, I love the people that I've met through this. We've got some amazing coaches working on the program too. But I I deep I dig in with each class as well, and and it's been really fun. So what is it? Obviously, Oprah is probably not going to run out of money, but the the rest of America is, is still nervous about it. And even the millionaire next door, people that have a fair amount of savings, everyone always has this fear, right? There's this fear and emotional mm-hmm. continuing with money. The people that, that get into this chaos, what are they doing? Like, what is it just because it's expensive to live in America and people have bad money habits? Like, what is or is it all across the spectrum, Gene? It's it's all across the spectrum. You're right about the fear of running out of money, right? There's been a lot of research on this. We know that even people who are six-figure earners are afraid that they're going to run out of money. Now, are they going to run out of money? No, they're not going to run out of money. But the feeling that you might is what keeps people up at night and and really contributes to this rising sense of anxiety that we don't have to be going through life with. I think part of what has happened is that spending in particular has just become so fast Mm -hmm. and so automated and so um, (sighs) invisible Right. So much of it happens just with a swipe or with a touch or with a an ACH transfer. Somebody swipes some money out of your account because you told them that they could do that, which is great. It means you're not going to be late on your bills, but it also means you really don't have a great sense of where your money is going and what you're using it for. And more importantly, whether you're using it in line with your values, you know, in line with your goals, whether you're using your limited resources, because they're limited for all of us, no matter how much you earn, unless you're like Warren Buffett, right? to do the things that you want to accomplish in the world. And so that's what this program is about. It's about helping you get honest with your money, line it up with your values and your goals and help you chart out a path to get there. Yeah, it's almost like this ball of yarn, and if you're not kind of controlling it, it's it just frays, you know, pretty quickly because it's so automated. Uh, and I think about my kids as a dad with four boys. You know, in the of course they're going to play, play video games, and it was just so hard to control the spending because you know everybody had to have a login, and they make it so that you can't really you can't even do anything without putting a card in, they said, well, you're not gonna have to use it. And you can try all the parental controls you want, but it's for some way, shape or form, that ball of yarn just starts to fray over a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's like, well, how do we spend this much money on, I don't know, Microsoft? Well, wait, Microsoft is what? Microsoft is a video. And, and the next thing you know, we've all, the automation does make it, it makes it easy to spend. Yeah. And it makes it, but it makes it too damn easy to spend. And I guess you see that 
with people that it literally gets to the point where they're in actual financial chaos. It, it does. And, and sometimes it's just they're at a point in life. We get a lot, we get a lot of, um, we get a lot of women in transition. So who are going through a divorce and want to get a grip on something. We get a lot of people who are just starting out, but we also get people who are 10 years from retirement who say, you know, I just, I just want to know that I'm driving the bus. I just want to know that, that I am, I am making these decisions. And what happens after a couple of weeks of being in there with your data is this light bulb goes on. And then people are like, oh my God, I just made a change that is going to save me $300 a month and $2,400 a year. You know, or yep. however, you know, however the math works out. I, I just did something and the taking back of ownership, I'm sure you've seen this, right? The take, once you get it, once you take back the ownership, you feel like it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe an example of that, because I think that there's always this question, I get asked this all the time, like, how do you budget? Like, uh, when you're dealing with higher net worth folks, and I, I hear often that, oh, I don't even I don't even have to budget. And for some high, really high earners, that is true. You don't have to really budget if you're making a million a year or 500,000 a year. But I also hear from retirees or people that are approaching, to your point, sort of a few years out, is that how am I supposed to budget? And, and I guess there's really no right answer. I'll say, well, Vanguard has a great tool where you can write everything down. Uh, I like to do it manually. I like to literally write it down. That way I kind of feel like I have some ownership in the process. What, do you have a particular way of doing it? Is there her money? There is. A guide that does it? Tell, yeah, again, yeah I, no, there, there is a it. way that we do it. And there's a way that we teach you to do it in Finance Fix. And you know, without going into all the details, I think the only way to budget is to do it backwards. I think the only way Explain to do that it. To us. Yeah, Explain I to don't us. think it works to say, I want, you know, here are the percentages and I want X percent to go to housing and X percent to. You have to look at where you are right now. You have to mm -hmm. look at what you're actually doing, right? And that involves some tracking and looking at your data. And then you can tweak it. Then you can nudge it. You know, you can move the levers this way or that way to get them to come into line to accomplish what really is the only goal of budgeting, and that's saving money and paying down debt. That's it, mm -hmm. right? Whether yeah. you're saving for an emergency, whether you're saving for a vacation, whether you're saving for retirement, that's the only goal. How did you get started in all this? Did you start out as a financial advisor or a reporter or what? <laughs> no, I started out as an as an English major. Perfect. Um, yeah. No, I'm a journalist. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I came to personal finance through personal finance magazines. I worked at Forbes. I worked at Smart Money. I worked at Money. Along the way, I started working on television, and I learned by being able to ask questions of the smartest people because you call somebody and you say, hey, I'm calling from Forbes, and they actually talk to you. Mm -hmm. Have you run into money mistakes or have you learned the hard way or have you had sure. so many great guides? Like what's a Gene Chatsky lesson from you that you've learned? 
I well, quite frankly, like along the way, I made every mistake, and and I um, have had enough therapy that I think <laughs> that I came to this as a job because I wanted to fix what was not going well in my own life. Mm. Um, so I had credit card debt at one point equal to a half year salary. Right. I mean, I, I, my salary was very low at the time, but still it was, it was pretty significant. Um, I didn't understand what I had when I opened my first 401k. I closed it out. I went shopping. Oh, really? Um, Wow. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I ceded control of my finances, um, early in my first marriage. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I really did not do it right until I started talking to these smart people and and fixing my mistakes as I went along and then explaining to other people both in writing and in um and and on TV how to fix them. And I just sort of I think my you know, I, I, I'm a really, I'm a good explainer. I'm a good, I can take in a lot of information and I can spit it back out in a way that makes sense. You mentioned you and your first marriage, you said you did things wrong in the beginning. What about, and I I know that a lot of the work you do is around women and money. And there's lots of talk about how men invest and how women invest. What to you is the big difference. Women are better investors than men because we're not as active when it comes to trading. And so we actually perform, our our investments outperform because we're not losing money to commissions and fees and bad investments, right? And Mm -hmm. switching, We're, we're just, we're not doing that. And that actually helps our investment performance. The trouble that women have is, and this is not true across the board, and yes, it's changing, and that's fantastic, is a lack of confidence when it comes to getting started. And mm. that's that can be really, really damaging, especially when you couple it with the gender pay gap. Because when you look at the numbers from a pay perspective and a demographic perspective, we earn less. We still take more breaks from work to care for kids and older parents. We have less when it comes to retirement for all of those reasons. And then we live longer. So it's it. you got to take a smaller amount of money and you have to make it last a, a bigger a number of, of years. Time. Yeah. And that's, that's a problem. The issue that women have when it comes to investing, I think, really boils down to two things. Um, the first is we, and I, I just, my, my most recent book is called Women With Money. And I, I, in writing it, interviewed hundreds of women and asked them, what do you want from your money? Like that was the first question I asked it of every single one. And what I heard was safety, security, stability. And the problem with safety and security and stability and savings is that they translate into cash in the bank and cash in the bank doesn't doesn't work. Produce money for yeah. the future. It holds us back. It doesn't keep up with taxes and inflation. It's an issue. And and the statistics bear it out. Women keep 
a greater percentage of our money in cash than men do. Hmm. So that's a problem. So Gene, by the way, so before you get to number two, is, is that answer, is the answer of I want safe stability, is that the same answer as I want freedom? I want financial freedom? No. Or, or it is a little different, isn't it? It's a little different. It's the, it's the I'm afraid I'm gonna run out of money answer. Mm. So safety, that's interesting. As soon as you ask that, now, I don't know if anybody's asked me that question. The, my immediate reaction is, oh, freedom. I just want freedom. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. Right. Which is different than safety, right? It's it different. is a different. It's different. So what's number two then? The second thing, and I think, I think this is very true. I know it's very true of me. Um, and I think it's true of many women is that we like to know the answer to the question before we ask it. And that's not possible with investing, right? I mean, when, you, when you're a financial reporter like me, you learn very quickly that there are two types of questions. There, there's one set of questions that has an answer um, and, and a factual answer, an answer where I can actually be right. What is the best Miles credit card? Mm -hmm. I can tell you that. Right, I can do the research at any date, at any point in time, and I can say it's this one. And it's this one based on all of these facts. What's the best investment? I can't answer that question. You know, I can answer, I can tell you what's, a, what's historically been a good investment, what is likely to, based on history, perform well going into the future, but I can't tell you that and be right. I can tell you that and have a good shot at being right. And so there, it requires some trust. It requires some faith. It requires a certain amount of, of appetite for risk. So the second part is kind of related, right? I mean, if you want answers, that means you want security. Right. You want, I want to know for sure. And I don't want to tread into uncertain waters and that you, so again, to some extent, I don't know if that's totally unique to women, but there is a more of a bias towards that in women versus men in, in, in your research. In not just in my research, but in, in a lot of research. And it, you know, it yeah. if you look at, at um if you look at our cave people ancestors, right? The hunters and the gatherers and the I mean it's very, very much um we haven't come as far as we think. Yeah. So it's it kind of still in our DNA. But it's changing, and and one of the things I think that's changing, that's that's forcing the change, is that more women are investors mm -hmm. by way of our work-based retirement plans. Um, more of us are just being put in the position where we have money invested, and once you have a stake at the table, then you're more likely to take care of that stake. What is what is a top one, two, three issue? that you see that lands people in this chaos that you describe? Not paying attention to your flows of funds mm -hmm. is, is a big one. Flow, number one, flow, yep. Not setting goals is another one. And I think not communicating with a spouse or a partner if you have one. So you end up with people both burying their heads and saying, oh, I'm not going to talk about this. Oh, I don't want to talk about this. We're just going to fight about it. So the next, and then it kind of ends up blowing up. How bad do things have to get 
And what is the trigger catalyst for somebody to be like, oh gosh, I'm going to sign up for Finance Fix? Like, what is the catalyst do you see? I think a catalyst for signing up for Finance Fix is the same as the catalyst for going out and looking for any type of financial help. I don't think people come for financial help and financial advice just because. I think they come because something happened. Mm -hmm. And and that can be that they got a bill that they didn't expect. It could be that they lost a job. It could be that a marriage ended. It could be that they're getting married. It could be that they had a baby. It could be that they're turning 40. Something happened. Right. Some and all of a sudden, thing. yeah. And all of a sudden, they decided that they're they're going to get a grip. And I don't think that the that the lack of communication always ends up with a fight. I just think it ends up with people working at cross purposes and not necessarily knowing what's what's in their their spouse's brain. I mean, every every so often, and I'm sure you've seen this, that the Wall Street Journal will trot out an article about how, you know, spouses have no idea what the other one is thinking about retirement, when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, how they'll live when it happens, because they they haven't they haven't talked about it, right? So it's it just it yeah. gets in the way of of. You know, they, these points sort of all tie together, right? It gets in the way of achieving your goals. You know, it is funny. It's such a big event that you would think that everyone would talk about it, but it's almost the opposite. For some reason, it doesn't get talked about because it's scary. It's uncertain. The goal that I have had here, and my my first book was titled You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think, but the a lot of the book had to do with money and happiness, and it was the five secrets of the of the happiest retirees in America. And I've got another book coming out this fall that is about it's just what the happiest retirees know. It's essentially ten habits that happy retirees do versus unhappy. Okay, so we have to talk about this because do you know yeah. that I wrote a book called the the ten um, commandments of financial happiness? Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Is that okay? Um, okay, good. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is my favorite topic. Is this relationship? And I don't know why it ended up being. The way I describe it in this more recent book is that I grew up in a weird area where close by there were super wealthy people and then really close by, but it was also right next to a steel town in Pennsylvania near Amish country. Where? Uh, it's actually, I don't know if you've seen Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet. She is in the, the town. Delco. Is, yeah, it's Delaware County. It's lower. It's southeastern Pennsylvania. And they filmed part of that in a town called Coatesville, Pennsylvania. And there's a steel old, it used to be called Luke and Steel. So there's a lot, it's, a, it's still a gross little town. It's terrible. But then literally within a mile, you're in the rolling hills of Chester County and it's horse country. So you got rich people over here, poor people over here. And then my dad was a veterinarian. So his clients is that when I was a little kid, I would go on farm calls. So they were Amish. Yeah. Because it's actually really near Lancaster. So I think that I just was so mixed up as a kid. I'm like, God, these Amish people don't even have any money. They seem pretty happy. And these really rich people have 40 horses and they don't seem any. Like, so I, for some reason, always wanted to know about this topic. Tell us about your Ten Commandments. Well, I mean, my Ten Commandments, and I think I grew up very similar. I grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia. So, steel town that fell on hard times, but there was definitely that mix of people who had plenty of resources and more than plenty of resources and, and 
and did not. I, I, in, in order to write that book, which, and it's been a while now, I did a big piece of research, um, that looked at 5,000 people and sort of what, what were the habits and attributes that contributed to being happy? And a lot of it boiled down to control. Mm. A lot of it boiled down to not how much you had. Um, our dividing line um, to cross into financial comfort, which equaled happiness. Beyond that, more money didn't make you more happy was about $70,000 a year on a national level. And this was a few years before um, Daniel Kahneman did his piece of research that said the number was $75,000. Right, so I felt, yeah, it I was felt, out of the Woodrow Wilson School Yeah, study. so I, I felt pretty good about, about that you number. You were first. You were first. You, yeah. But the the um, it was really having control over whatever money you had. And... and the control manifested itself in, in, in small ways. So people who saved 5% of their money or more crossed into mm -hmm. happiness. People who had a plan crossed into happiness. People who paid their bills as they came in rather than waiting to pay them once a month or happier. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's, I, I, fall back on the, the findings a lot because I, I still think that they make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, your 10 commandments boil down to one word, which is control. Uh, the, yeah. and, and there, and it, but it shows up in a lot of different ways. It's whether you actually spend a little time doing budgeting. That's control. Mm -hmm. The thought of paying a bill and not waiting on a bill, that's control. It's always been interesting to me. I think that is a huge piece of the equation, right? The... Um, the way I've looked at it is I also did more benchmarks and saying you need to get to this amount of money from a savings perspective. Um, my research, did it kind of lined up with yours and then Woodrow Wilson School. And then I think by the time I did my survey and study back in 2013, so it's been eight, nine years, it was similar. It was, it was from an income standpoint, it was about 80, I think it was 82,000. It was kind of the, the the inflection point, which makes sense from inflation. Yeah, makes and, sense. And it was five hundred thousand dollars was the median number. Now the the mean was a little bit different, a little higher, but I looked at that as a kind of a inflection point. From the research, it was that the number said five hundred thousand. But if you think about five hundred thousand, it's also that means about two grand a month in retirement, and it on top of Social Security, maybe you have a pension. Now you're at five or six, and all of a sudden you've got control of your life. So your relationship idea around money and happiness is about the word control, which I love. And that more things that we can do to be able to have control of our money, which is, I think, a really, really interesting way for our audience to really think about it. Is there a worst habit, by the way? I don't know that there's one worst habit. I think there are different habits that get different people um, into the program, but also just get different people feeling out of control. And sometimes they are not habits. I mean, you know, overspending, chronically overspending is a, is a bad habit. Under earning is a bad habit. Um, but there are some things that just happen to us, right? There, yeah. there are, I mean, if we've learned anything from the past year and a half, it's that we are, 
not always at fault for being in a bad financial situation. Sometimes life just happens, right? Mm -hmm. An illness happens. You lose somebody. You lose a job. It's not, it's not on you, and yet it's still on you to take control and and figure your way out of this situation. So I don't want to, I don't want to always blame people because I don't mm -hmm. necessarily think it's an always blame situation. Two other things I want to ask you about in inflow, because your first principle or one of many, but uh, is make a decent living. And I want to talk about inflow. You talk about making your earnings potential, living up to your earnings potential. I want to ask you that. And then two, just investing. Obviously, mm -hmm. saving is another one of yours, but then also it's not just saving, it's investing as well. Yeah. So start with earning. It's a choice. You know, earning a decent living is particularly now, right now, when there, there are so many more jobs than there are candidates, you want to earn more money, now is your time. You, mm -hmm. you know, write a resume, get out there and start really actively talking to people and, and looking for a job that pays more than you're getting paid now. Um, before I got on to record with you, I was recording my podcast and I had the CEO of Career Builder on and she said she's never seen an imbalance like this. You know, for 50 years, there's never been an imbalance like this. And so you want to earn some more money? Great. Now is your shot. I love the CEO of Career Builder, but I have a better guest on my podcast today than you did on yours, just so you know. Oh, um, well. <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> by the way, that for those listening, that's Jean herself. Uh, and then what about investing, Jean? What about investing? Uh, what is your philosophy on investing? My philosophy is that boring is better. I am, I'm not a stock picker. Um, I actually spent a couple of years working on Wall Street before I started at Forbes because I had been at a a women's magazine writing about business, but it, it didn't give me the, the gravitas to get hired at a big business magazine, which is what I wanted. So I spent a couple of years doing equity research at Dean Witter and learning about you were equity the fundamentals. I was a junior equity oh, okay. research yes. analyst, but, but you know, I know how to read a balance yeah. sheet. I know how to read financial statements. I, I know how to do this. And I am a really bad stock picker. I'm just... I'm just a bad stock picker. And my philosophy is I don't need to be a stock picker and neither do you if you don't wanna be. I mean, there are a lot of people, particularly Gen Z millennials who've, who've gotten enamored of picking stocks during the pandemic and I think that's great for them. But for me, I know that 90% of success is dependent on asset allocation there's a lot of research that backs that up. And I'm going to buy diversified investments at low cost that just cover my bases. And if the markets continue to go up as the markets have continued to go up historically, back to, back to the formation of the Dow and the S&P and returning about 10% a year, I'm going to be just fine with that. Because I also know that the other secret is that you just have to save enough in order to grow your investments, right? That's the most important thing. If you, you can't out-invest 
your way of a savings shortfall. If you don't save enough, you have nothing to grow. So I'll save enough and then I'll diversify. Yeah, I think it's a really good point too. From an, invest- from an investment standpoint, just being invested is a huge part of the battle. The thought around asset allocation for our listeners, and I and I think the original study on that was, was that like the Markowitz study from the asset allocation it study? It was. Which if you think of it this way, the concept is pretty simple. Over time, if you're allocated equities, that's one asset class, that decision to do that is the influence of what's gonna win versus bonds or what's gonna win versus cash. And then obviously Wall Street makes it even more complicated than that because we have large cap and small cap and international and growth and value. But boring is better is I think a really good way to look at it. And uh, my philosophy over all these years has been kind of boring stocks are better. Uh, and But I'm a big believer in using ETFs as well. I've, I've always advocated income investing and I always say, too, it's not, not like a right or wrong. It's just the way I've always done it. And I started out buying utility companies. I happened to do that early on in my career. And I kind of got just comfortable. Like, these are boring companies. And they ended, they've just done pretty well. And then that, that's expanded to other kinds of dividend-paying companies. But that, to me, is, it's not as exciting as what we see on Robinhood. But it, it is one over time uh, pretty significantly. So, um, well, with that, I'm glad that we were talking about this. The question I have then, and this may be an in- industry question, do people go to her money and finance fix? And, you know, one, one thing that I haven't really found a lot of, and there used to be different networks that did this on hourly planning. Do you, do you guys do that or do other, what kind of networks do hourly planning or is that just not an economically viable thing in America? I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. Um, the Garrett planning network does hourly planning. Um, and some of the planners in the XY network do hourly planning. Um, the, I think it's amazing because there are, it, it's kind of like, you know how there are some people who will use TurboTax to do their own taxes and then take it to the accountant? Yeah. Right. It's that. Okay. That's To me, that's sort of what hourly planning is. Hourly planning is for somebody who maybe wants to do a lot of the work themselves, but wants a set of eyes on their work product or wants some recommendations once a year. And, and I think... I think that that's been one of the best and and most democratic advancements in financial planning that you don't have to hire somebody and be stuck with them. Sorry. Full time. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. that you can, you can, you can approach it like a little short term therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's an important intermediate step. And particularly for you've got do it yourself investors, then you have investors that want to do some themselves and some with help. And then you've got investors that really just don't want to do it on their own. And that's obviously why there's, I think, 100,000 financial advisors in in the world or in America. But there's just, and I look at our industry too, Gene, it's there's just so many people to help. I mean, Mm -hmm. the thought of 3.6 million people a year retiring for the next decade, I mean, it's just 36 million people over the next decade is just a massive, massive number. And we're trying to help people retire a little sooner here on the Retire Sooner podcast. Gene, how do we find Finance Fix? Like, where do we, where's your main hub? Hermoney.com. 
and you'll find Finance Fix. You'll find the podcast. There's we've got a lot of lot of resources there. Okay. Well, our audience will find you, and your podcast, of course, also is Her Money, the Her Money podcast with Gene Chatsky. And thank you for being on here today. And uh, God bless you. Thank you for coming wow. on the show. Thank you so much. This was really fun. And I hope that when your book comes out, you'll you'll do me the favor of coming on Her Money and talking about it. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. Sure. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.